Super Bowl Sunday, y'all. I'm excited. I hope I'm not offending anybody that I'm wearing a football jersey, but I tried to be more respectful, and I tucked it in, all right? I never, ever, ever do. Makes it a little difficult to use the restroom between services. But anyways, um, so, man, it's a great day for Cincinnati Bengals fans, my team. I've been waiting for 33 years, and I don't know if, if you know numbers in the Bible, 33. Jesus was 33 when he, okay. Um, Deliverance, deliverance will come tonight for my, um, my team. So uh, just in honor of uh, my son, my oldest son, Isaiah, who is here with us today. Uh, the long lost son is home, yeah. Um, and to honor my Cincinnati Bengals, I have a little throwback photo for y'all. This goes back a little ways. Um, Isaiah was rocking the number nine before it was a thing. Um, and that goes back to, he was, I think, five years old, 2007 or 8. Um, that was at Paul Brown Stadium for an all-pro dad event uh, at the stadium in Cincinnati. And so, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I joked with him about we need to recreate that photo with his new number nine Joe Burrow jersey. But I'm excited for this game. Um, I'm going to channel my, my pastor, Pastor Mark. I mentioned his name last week. He died a year ago this month and so influential in my life. But he would always say that every Sunday was like Super Bowl Sunday when he got a chance to preach the Word of God. And so a lot of my passion for the Word and for preaching the Word comes from him. And uh, man, every, every Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday because we get an opportunity to, to crack open the eternal Word of God, the revealed Word of God, and get a glimpse of who God is and how much He loves us. And literally, if people every single week, there are souls that are hanging in the balance that need to hear the good news of the gospel. And I was sitting here singing, I was like, man, the Super Bowl is incredible. I'm so excited. I've never been exci this excited for a football game in my life. So if I say anything that seems bizarre this morning, it's because I have football brain. Um, but man, I was like the singing, the worship, and the things that we were singing in particular. I was like, man, Super Bowl Sunday is incredible, but we get to celebrate Resurrection Sunday every single week. What a glorious, amazing thing. This game will come and go. My team may lose. They'll probably win. But <laughs> this game will be over. But every Sunday we get to do this. And so I'm just, man, excited that we get to worship together. We're calling this the Year of Discipleship 2022. It's a year where we want to grow in our faith more than ever before. And at the very heart of it is the Word of God. And that is the instrument through which we grow. We hear the voice of God. We see his character, who he is. And, and so personally, individually, we're going through a Bible reading plan called the F260 Bible reading plan. If you haven't joined us on that, I invite you to do that. Just jump in with us right where we're at. There are Bible reading plans over at our Next Steps area. We're in week number seven. And so just jump in with us. Two chapters a day, five days a week. Uh, and if you can't keep up, that's all right. Do as much as you can. Just jump into the word. It'll change you as you dig into it. And corporately as a church, we're in this sermon series called The Word. It's actually a 52-week uh, sermon series or journey through the scriptures. It's comprised of eight separate sermon series. We're in ser series number two called Promised Land. And one other way that I want to encourage you all to uh, dig in and grow this year is in community. And we have some community groups that I want to mention. A couple of these are starting new, and we have some that uh, are, are currently meeting. Um, I'm going to work from the bottom left, the young adults. Um, we have a young adults group that meets at Jake and Corey's house on Sunday nights at 6 p.m. Um, and so, you know, this isn't young at heart. This is for those who are literally young adults, all right? I think they have a cutoff at, like, I don't know what the age is. 
30, 35. I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to. You have to be young. All right. Young adults. Um, on Sunday nights, 55 plus. I'm going to work around. There we go. Putting all them young adults to shame. Um, 55 plus, a group that has just started this year. I'm so excited about second Tuesday of every month. So they just met this past uh, week and just excited about that group. If you're in that age range, so that's very clear. All right, there's the age and, you know, all that stuff. Um, it's not nebulous like young adults. Am I a young adult? Um, so that is uh, on the second Tuesdays of every month. Uh, women are going to be starting up on March the 3rd. So on Thursday nights at 6.30 p.m., that's going to kick off. And then men, we, have, we do, I don't have it listed here, we have a men's group that meets on Saturday mornings uh, at 7.30, but then we're starting up another group in the evenings. Uh, some of y'all maybe don't uh, have that opportunity on Saturday mornings, or some of you are like me, like, you just want to sleep in on Saturday? So you want to do a night group that would work better for your schedule. We have a men's uh, community group that is launching the last uh, Monday of this month, so February the 28th. And really the, the goal behind all of these groups is to get in community with one another around the Word of God and to grow as we invest ourselves in the Word of God and as we invest the Word of God in one another. So I want to encourage you to look at those, friendshipwire.com groups. All of those are listed on there for you. So last week we started into this sermon series called Promised Land. We started into the book of Exodus in the beginning of the Bible, and what we saw in Exodus was that God's people, the children of Israel, were stuck in slavery in Egypt. And so God raised up, or was in the process of raising up, this deliverer for them. His name was Moses. And as we saw last week, God called, and we talked about when God calls, Moses responded with obedience. This week we're going to jump into Exodus chapter 12. So if you have a Bible or you want to jump in the sermon notes, you can head there. Head there. <clears throat> We're going to get there in just a few minutes, and we're going to see Moses as he tries to follow the Lord's call on his life. And so this morning's sermon title is An Acceptable Sacrifice. And this is a pretty simple sermon, uh, to be honest, um, it's, but it's incredibly rich and so pivotal in the scope of God's story and our understanding of who God is and how he deals with our sin and how we can have a relationship with God. And so this is really all about the gospel this morning. And whether you're new to God in church and the Bible or whether you've been around for a long time, man, this is so foundational for us and we can never get past the goodness of the gospel. And so this morning I want to start out by talking about our need or the need for salvation, the need for salvation. And we're going to kind of set up the context for Exodus 12 and I'm going to kind of connect the dots from where we were last week in Exodus 3 leading up to chapter 12. And we're going to see the need for salvation. So God raises up Moses to be this deliverer. He sends him to Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, this dominant world power who was holding the people of Israel captive. And the message that God was sending through Moses to Pharaoh was, let my people go. Free them from their slavery so they can worship me, so they can serve me. And then we see Pharaoh's response. And I want us to just look at uh, Exodus 5, verses 1 and 2. Again, we're setting the context as we head into Exodus 12 in just a few minutes. Exodus 5, 1 and 2, it says this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord. Here's the Lord's message to you. The God of Israel said this. Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. 
So Pharaoh's response to God was, who is this God? I don't know who he is. And the answer to your request is no. All right, so remember that. We'll, we'll come back to that. His very first response was no to the command of, of God. But in God fashion, he keeps coming. He keeps coming and he wants to deliver his people. He wants to redeem them. He wants to free them out of their captivity. And he wants to, like we talked about last week, bring them out of their captivity and he wants to bring them into this promised land, the land of Canaan, this rich, full land that's flowing with milk and honey. And so God comes after him again in Exodus chapter six. I want you to see this, verses six through nine. Here's what the Lord wants Moses to say to the people of Israel, his, his people. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I'll take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. This is who I am. This is what I'm gonna do. And Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So they're, they've been so broken by this condition, this, this adversity that they're in that they can't even hear that there's any hope for them. But God keeps coming and God wants them. And God's goal in all of this to bring his people out is ultimately, he, he wants to bring them out to bring them in, but Ultimately, he wants to glorify himself. He wants to make his name known through all of the earth. And look at Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. This is the Lord speaking to, Moses, uh, speaking to Pharaoh. He says this, For this purpose, but for this purpose, I have raised you up. That I've given you life. I've raised you up for this purpose, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So the Lord says to Pharaoh, he says, I want to show you my power. The reason I've raised you up is to show you how strong I am. And so that through you, all the earth will know my name. They will know who I am. They will know what I'm all about. And then chapter 10, verse number two, it goes on. Another reason, he, his purpose is to make his name known to Israel and to Egypt and to all the earth, but also to future generations. And chapter 10, verse two, it says this, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. Why? That you may know that I am the Lord. And so God says, I want to do all of this for your good, but I want all of the earth and all of these future generations, your, your kids, your grandkids, I want them to know that I am the Lord. I want to be famous, like we sang earlier. And yet Pharaoh, his response, what was his first response? You remember? No, I'm not going to do it. And so what we see over these, these chapters is, is there's this process where God brings these miracles and these signs and these wonders, these plagues on the people. He, he gives Pharaoh every opportunity to change his mind, to repent, to turn and be obedient. And he doesn't time after time after time through 10 plagues. 
but there's a phrase that pops up, actually a few phrases that pop up that give us some trouble as followers of Jesus. When we read this, there's a few phrases. One, we see throughout these chapters, it says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And if you're kind of honest and wrestling with who God is, you see that and go, what, what does that mean? Like God hardened his heart. Is God the one who made him say no? Is God the one who made him to be disobedient so that he could just punish him? And so that causes some questions, right? Some tension. But then we see another phrase that pops up multiple times in these chapters. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So it's a neutral phrase. It just is stating the condition of Pharaoh's heart. It was hard. It was resistant to the Lord. But then there's this other important phrase that, that we miss. Not the Lord hardened his heart, but Pharaoh hardened his own heart and would not listen. So here's the question. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Did the Lord or did he harden his own heart? Y'all know what the answer is? It's, it's both. It's both. And here's what happened. Again, God gave him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent and to obey and to turn. And what happened was Pharaoh started with a no. And he continued to say no. And he continued to harden his own heart. And the Lord hardened his heart. And, and really this, what, what plays out here is Romans chapter 1. We're not going to go there because we could spend a lot of time going off on this tangent. Romans chapter 1, I encourage you to read it, especially verses 18, I think, through the end of the chapter. What you find in here is this process that, that humankind goes through where, where people will suppress the truth, it says. So you hear the truth about who God is, but you say, I don't want to hear it. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. And so we suppress the truth and the scriptures go on in Romans 1 to say that what happens in this process as we continue to suppress the truth is that our, our minds, our thinking becomes futile and that our hearts become darkened. So in other words, our, our thinking becomes more off kilter and we, we, our hearts begin to become more dark until the culmination of this process is it says that God gives people over to their heart's desire. He gives them over to what they want. And so here's the truth, is that God always gives people exactly what they want. And sometimes we go, well, so you know, here's a question that skeptics and folks wrestling with faith would ask. Why would a loving God send people to hell? Why would, he, why would a loving God send people to a literal hell, separation from God? It's because God always gives people exactly what they want. And if God over and over comes to you with the truth and says, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, you harden your heart, what happens is eventually God will harden your heart. And some people would say, and we could again go to Revelation, and there's places in the scriptures we could look where people would say, well, I'm just going to wait until I know it's the end and, and you know, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus then, and I'm just going to live the way I want until then, until the last moment, until the 11th hour. Uh -uh. That's not how it works, because what happens is as you harden your heart, God says, I'm going to give you exactly what you want. And so in that moment when it comes to the end and you say, like, your heart's not going to turn because you have hardened your heart, and God is giving you and will give you for all of eternity exactly what you wanted on earth, which was to have nothing to do with God and to be separated from him. But here's the incredible thing about this story, is that even with Pharaoh, 
over and over, he gave him opportunity to repent. And, and we saw it. God's purpose was that Pharaoh would see his power, that all the earth would know God's name. And what God is in essence saying is, is here, here, what he's saying here is this. I will make my, know, my name known in all the earth, and I will make my power evident through you, whether you want to cooperate or not. I will receive the glory. And it came to the 10th time where he said, enough is enough. I'm bringing judgment. After opportunities of mercy and, and repentance, because it all started with a no. He kept suppressing the truth. And so this is how we kind of reconcile some of these things. And, and so what we see here is the need for salvation. Salvation was, was needed because God was going to bring judgment on the people of, of Egypt because he wanted his people to be free. And so God is bringing judgment. Salvation was needed. And I, I love this because though God is just, though God deals with sin, he, he provides an opportunity for salvation. He provides an opportunity to be rescued out of our sin. And so we see, leading up to Exodus 12, the need for salvation. So I want to flip the page here, literally. God's plan for salvation. Exodus chapter 12. Here we go. All of that was to set the context for what we see in Exodus chapter 12. God's plan for salvation. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse number 1 says this, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. And I want to pause there because something really intriguing happens right here. God, in essence, institutes a new calendar for God's people because the events that are getting ready to take place in chapter 12, what God is getting ready to do is so so uh, identity shaping for the people of God that he says, hey, we're starting over. This is a new era. This is a new calendar. This is going to be the beginning of, of months. Okay, this is big stuff that's getting ready to happen. Verse number three, we pick up here. God says, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. All right, so every single household takes a lamb, verse number four, if the household's too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. <clears throat> verse number five, your lamb shall be without blemish, okay, a spotless lamb, no blemishes whatsoever, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So each household must take a lamb, not just any lamb, a spotless lamb for a sacrifice. All right, Every single household is to do this. Verse number seven, what are they going to do with this spotless lamb that they sacrifice, that they kill? It says in verse number seven, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and, and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. So here's what they're going to do. Sacrifice a spotless animal. Take the blood of that sacrifice and apply it to the two doorposts and to the lintel over it. And it's almost, there's a very cool picture here if you think of the blood on the top and on the sides almost forming this, 
this cross. I didn't add that uh, fun little detail in the first service, but he says, apply the blood of that spotless lamb, that sacrifice to the doorposts of your house. And then he moves on and tells them to institute this, this meal. He calls the Passover meal. Verse number eight, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head and its legs and its inner parts. Yuck. Uh, verse number 10. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff on the, in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So a new calendar is instituted for this event that's going to be called Passover. Each household is to take a spotless lamb for a sacrifice. They're to take the blood and apply it to the door posts of their house. They're to eat this Passover meal. And the significance of that phrase Passover is that when the Lord comes through in the middle of the night and he comes to execute judgment. Now this is the 10th plague and it's on the firstborn. And God has warned them that he's going to take the firstborn of every household in Egypt. And this even harkens back to Exodus 4, when he calls Israel, the nation of Israel, his people, he calls the nation of Israel, my firstborn son. And what he says is, if you don't let my firstborn son go, I'm going to take the firstborn of every home in Egypt. This was the last and the final plague. And, and so they institute this meal and he says, hey, have your shoes on, your, your belt, your, like your clothes ready to go, your staff in your hand, be ready to go because I'm going to come through and, and I'm going to execute judgment. But if the blood is applied to your door, doorposts, I will pass over your house. And the blood, the blood on the doorpost is going to be a sign that says that everyone in this house is consecrated or set apart to the Lord. In other words, it's going to signify to the Lord as he comes through that a life has been given for the life of those in that household. And so as you go on in this chapter, we see this all play out in verse, starting in verse number 21. It says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel. He said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel, the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of your, the door of your house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, the promised land, when you go into that land, you shall keep this 
service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? What is this all about? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And so the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. And so God's plan of salvation, let's summarize it again. Take a spotless lamb for every single household. That lamb is going to be a sacrifice. Its blood is going to be shed, but it also needs to be applied to the doorposts, all right? Don't miss this part. A sacrifice had to be made, blood had to be shed, but that blood had to be applied to each and every doorpost of those houses. So if a sacrifice was made, animal was killed, blood was shed, but the blood wasn't applied, it wasn't put on the doorposts, when the destroyer, when the angel of the Lord came through Egypt in the middle of the night, if he didn't see that blood, he would not pass over. He needed to see the blood applied to the house. Now, here's a good question. Why blood? What is this about blood? And I don't know if you all have ever thought about it. If you've been in church your whole life, you don't think anything about blood. But this morning, like, we come in and we're singing about blood breaking chains. And if you haven't been in church, you're like, what is wrong with these people talking about blood and singing about blood with smiles on their faces and lifting their hands? This is a bloodthirsty, weird group of people. It's, it is a strange thing when you, when you are new to this. Like, why blood? What does, what does this mean? What is this all about? I want to take you to Leviticus 17. This, this whole Old Testament sacrificial system was so significant. And here's the point of it. Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And, and, and we all get this. Every human being, Christian, non-Christian, that if you don't have blood flowing through your body, you're dead, right? You're not alive. You, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And he says, I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So as God institutes this sacrificial system, which seems very barbaric to us, right? Why was blood shed? It's because life was in the blood. And this was God's way of saying that a life will be given, blood will be shed in, in exchange for another life. Because life is in the blood. And that blood that is applied will atone for, will cover over, will cleanse your sin. One life, the life of a spotless lamb without any imperfections, without any spots for your life. This was the reason for this sacrificial system and for the blood. Hebrews 9.22, this, this is the memory verse for this week. We already read it. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so in the sacrificial system, what God had them do was every single year, they would make this sacrifice, this annual sacrifice, where they would take the spotless lamb, they would sacrifice it and take that blood, and that would cover over or atone for their sin for the next year. So it was almost like you're putting money in the bank, like, I'm going to sin a lot over this year, this, this, 
the sacrifice is going to atone for all of that. Bad news is I've got to come back and do it again next year. And I've got to go do it again the next year and over and over. But this was the way to cover over their sin. That's why blood was significant. But again, sacrifice made, blood was shed, but it had to be applied in order for it to be effective. All right, so in light of all of that, in light of God's plan for salvation, how do we live in light of that? Like, what does that have to do with us? And if you're new here, we don't do like blood sacrifices on Sundays, all right? <laughs> we don't do that. It's not going to get all weird in here. But like, how does this apply in 2022? Some of you are creeped out now, okay? I, I got I to bring you back. Um, how does this apply in 2022? Blood and sacrifice and the substitute. Like, what does this mean? How do we live in light of this? How does this apply to you and me right now? Well, here's the first thing is that you have a need for salvation. You have a need for salvation. I have a need for salvation. You are a sinner, and I am a sinner. In other words, we have sinned against God. We have sinned against others. Like, there's no getting around this. There's, none of us go free on this. We are all sinners. We have all sinned against the holy God, and yet we are all captive to our sin. We're held captive, just like Israel was held captive in slavery, we are held captive to our sin. In other words, there's nothing that we can do to free ourselves. There's nothing we can do to rescue ourselves, to clean ourselves up. We need a deliverer to come in from the outside and to free us from our sin. You are in need of salvation. Your sins need to be dealt with. Your sins need to be forgiven and and maybe this is the first time you're hearing it. And yes, for some of you, this is the thousandth or millionth time you've heard this. Man, this can never, ever get old. We can't lose sight of this, our need for salvation, our need for God to intervene and do something in our life that we could never do, that we could never provide for ourselves because we're not good enough. You need salvation. You have a need for salvation Here's the good news, is that God has a plan for salvation for you. He had a plan of salvation for Israel. He has a plan of salvation for you and for me. And his plan of salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation comes through a Savior, through a Deliverer. Now, let me help us for a second understand. Let me give you a, a modern-day illustration of a savior. Joe Burrow is a quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. And if y'all haven't been following along, um, let me bring you into my misery. Okay, 33 years ago, last time we went to the Super Bowl, the 1990s were known as the lost decade for the Cincinnati Bengals because they lost, and they lost, and they lost. They were losers. <laughs> and um, what happened was uh, they earned the nickname the Bungles. Drives me crazy to this day because they, they just, they lost all the time. In early 2000s, they brought in a new coach named Marvin Lewis. And he was like the hope of the future. He's going to turn this organization around because, man, we need somebody who can come from the outside in. It was always an organization who, an organization who hired coaches from the inside uh, of their organization. And 
We could never win. And so they brought in their first outside hire, this Marvin Lewis, who was supposed to be the deliverer. He was supposed to lead us to the promised land. And he didn't. He like brought us to the playoffs seven years out of 16 years, but we were 0-7. We lost every single playoff game. And it was, it was always like, man, they can win. They can get in the playoffs, but there's the Bungles. They can't win. 2018 season, we're 2-14. and 14. We get the number one pick in the draft. Here comes Joey Franchise. Joey Franchise. Joe Burr. Joe Cool. There's all kinds of names. Joe Shiesty. Okay, there's all kinds of names. Joe Burrow is a number one pick. Ohio boy. Draft him number one. And he comes in and in two years. Y'all, if you don't follow football, this is amazing. In two years, he has turned this team into a winner. And in his second year, no number one pick has ever done this, taken a, a team to the Super Bowl in their first or second year. Joe Burrow takes our team to the playoffs, wins three playoff games, and we're in the Super Bowl. He is the savior of the Cincinnati Bengals franchise, right? He is the deliverer, the deliverer to all the people in Cincinnati, this organization. He has taken them out of the misery and the doldrums, being in the basement of the NFL, and he has delivered us to the promised land of Super Bowl 56. Okay, how many hours do we got? Okay, sorry, I'm so pumped. Um, He's the savior, everybody gets this. Everybody looks at Joe Burrow and the NFL and they're like, this dude, he is that dude. He is the real deal. He is delivering this team and no one is gonna count him out. He's amazing, he is the franchise deliverer. And as much as I love Joe Burrow, and y'all, I love, Right here, all right, I am a fan. I love him, he's from Ohio. As much as I love him and as much as he has been a savior to the Cincinnati Bengals organization, y'all know, Joe Burrow could never save my soul, right? He could never save your soul. There's no person, no human outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, the perfect Man, the God-man who came from heaven to earth in the flesh and lived a perfectly sinless life so that he could be our spotless Passover lamb who would offer his life to wash away all of our sin once and for all, for all time. We don't have to go once a year to receive an atonement for our sins. We go to him in faith Once, and man, he cleanses us of all of our sin. In fact, John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse 29, as Jesus comes on the scene and all these people are following this eccentric guy, John the Baptist, who's preaching the gospel, and Jesus comes on the scene, and John the Baptist points, and he says, behold, it's not about me. Behold the Lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world, He is the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who has come to save our souls, to deliver us out of our captivity, to deliver us out of our sin. And we see in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, he's called this. Paul says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. He is the sacrifice. He is the spotless lamb who has been offered 
for you and for me, for the salvation of our souls. He is the Savior. He is the one who has come to deal with our sins, to offer us forgiveness, to bring us out of the captivity and the bondage of our sin and to bring us into not just eternal life with God, but to full abundant life here and now. He is the Savior, amen? And you have a need for salvation. I have a need for salvation and God's plan for salvation for you and for me is Christ, is Christ. And yet our Passover lamb, whose blood has been shed for us to take away our sin. That blood needs to be applied to your life. It's gotta be put on the doorposts of your life. Jesus died for you, for your sin. His blood was shed for you, and that's a great truth. But unless you take the blood that he shed for you and apply it to your life. And the way that you do that is by putting your faith in him as your savior. Unless you apply the blood to your life personally, unless you believe and put your faith in Christ, that judgment is coming and he's not gonna pass over your house. But he's provided a way of salvation, an opportunity for you to put your faith in him, to, to apply the blood that was shed for you on the doorposts of your life. And all you have to do is believe. And so let me ask you this morning, have you applied the blood of Christ to your life? Have you applied the blood of Christ to your life? This is, this is the way out of your sin. This is the way out of separation from God. If God is calling to you this morning, and what you really want is you want God, you want him, you don't want to be separated from him now or for, for, for all of eternity. If what you want is the Lord, man, turn your heart to him today in faith and he will receive you. Amen. And so God, this morning, I just want to say thank you for who you are and all that you have done for us, that you had offered the life of your son for our salvation that in our need, you came to rescue us and provide for us. God, thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for every person in this room who has, who has believed, who has applied the blood of Christ to their life. God, I say thank you for that, for drawing people to yourself, for helping men and women and boys and girls understand their need of a savior. You are the one who does that. And so God, thank you for revealing that to us. Thank you for our salvation that comes through Christ. And yet God, for those who may be in this room or listening online that have never applied the blood of that Passover lamb to their life, for the one who is still stuck in their sin and maybe trying to do good or be good or somehow be righteous, but God, there's no hope unless it's the hope of Jesus and what he has done for us, the finished work, him offering his life as a Passover lamb on the cross for us. And so Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning 
that needs you, God. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. That lamb who died to wash away all of our sin, that, that lamb who takes away the sin of the world, our Passover lamb. God, I pray that today would be the day that they would put their faith in you. And God, for every single one of us that know you as Savior, we just again want to say thank you for being our deliverer, for seeing our need for salvation and providing a way for us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. We worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.